This episode, I interview Beth Silvers. Beth is an attorney. She stars in a podcast called Pantsuit Politics, which gets over 150,000 hits per month, and it's growing. It's amazing. Beth and I talk about the current political climate, a perceived failed election, and how to re-engage in politics in a very positive way. Let's listen. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Welcome, Beth Silvers, to the show today. I'm really excited that you're here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's my first podcaster, fellow podcaster that's yes. here. Yes, we're, we're colleagues now in this We way. are. I think it's awesome. We're kindred spirits. Yes. We are lovers of podcasts. Yes. <laughs> I knew it the moment that you looked in my eyes when I said podcast and you like lit up. <laughs> oh, I mean, I could listen to podcasts all day. I love them, too. It's just, you know, somebody was talking with us. I think it was Tish Oxenreiter who we had on our show. And she said that Who's her that? grandfather. So Tish has this wonderful podcast called The Simple Show. And then she has a blog that's fantastic. And the name of that blog will come to me in a minute. And she's written several books about how she's traveled around the world with her small children. I think she's amazing. She's one of my heroes. So Tish said that her grandfather, I think, asked, like, why are all these millennials listening to AM radio? Because that's what he oh thinks of God. as podcasting. And it's kind of like it's kind of true we talked about how a podcast is almost like receiving a handwritten letter. Yeah, You know, there's so much noise in digital media and there's something so clear about audio. Yeah. It's just kind of refreshingly straightforward. So, so podcasts, tell us a little bit about you, mm-hmm. how you got into podcasts and um, listeners, if you haven't, you need to listen to Pantsuit Politics. Thank you. Yes, you do. Everyone does. Yeah. No, so um, I tripped into podcasting. Um, a friend of mine from college, we kept in touch on Facebook. We were not in touch much after college. We both went off to law school. She went to D.C. I stayed in Kentucky and, and started working in the Cincinnati area. So we stayed in touch online. She started a blog after she moved back to Kentucky from D.C., During my first maternity leave, I really got into her blog and everything online. I found the end of the internet while feeding my child because, you know, (laughs) I'm just sitting there in a chair all day. Right. And I found her blog. I really liked what she was doing. And so I started to write for her blog occasionally. And what was the blog about? Just mom, just parenting, mom stuff. Um, Sometimes she would do something political, really whatever interested her, which is a pretty wide range. And so um, her blog is Bluegrass Redhead. And I started guest posting for Bluegrass Redhead. And um, we had like a good rapport, but nothing really came of that. A few years later, I'm on my second maternity leave, and I do it again because I want something to fill my mental space during that time. And we had a really nice back and forth about Syria where we had different feelings about what was happening in Syria at the time. And then I wrote— Is this all by email or is this on the phone or whatever? Just email. We we hadn't spoken to each other in 13 years. Wow. So it's all just happening online. So then I wrote a post called Nuance because this was the summer that Caitlyn Jenner had received the ESPY award and the Internet was going crazy about 
people calling her brave and how, you know, now we look back and we're like, isn't that quaint that we used to debate what bravery meant about Caitlyn Jenner? It seems like such a different time than we have now. Mm -hmm. But everyone was going crazy about that. Cecil the lion was all over social media. It was just like the season of silliness was happening. And so I wrote this post saying, hey, like bravery is not a finite thing that we that we can pass out. Like she can be brave and so can cancer survivors and so can soldiers. We don't have to define things so narrowly. And that post did really well and it generated all kinds of conversation on Facebook and on Twitter. So she got kind of excited and thought like we might have something here. So she asked me what I thought about a podcast. I'm talking about her in pronouns. Her name is Sarah Stewart Holland. She's like the most important person in my life in some ways now. So um, I I just refer to her as though everyone knows who she is. So Sarah had thought about a podcast on her own before. And she had come up with this name, Pantsuit Politics. And she thought about interviewing women in politics. Oh, okay. So now is Sarah working at this point? I know she has children. She has children and she's a social media consultant at this point. So she has children and some clients. So she has a little more flexibility in her life than I do at this point. Uh, but that changes later in our story. So Sarah asked me what, what I thought about a podcast. I had never listened to a podcast at that point. I did not know what she was talking about, but I was up for whatever. And I said, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. So I was saying she had thought about this before and she did a couple of interviews and she did not like interviewing, but she liked the idea of us just talking. Sarah okay. says all the time that she doesn't like speaking, but she likes talking. Yeah, that's and cute. And so uh, she called me. We talked for an hour. At one point, she just cut me off and she said, listen, we're done. We're not talking again unless we're recording it. I know good content. This is good content. We're doing it. And I said, fantastic. Let's do it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So explain to listeners what your podcast is all about. Right. So we believe that we don't have to yell at each other about politics. And our tagline is no shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So we try to discuss the most contentious issues of the day from different perspectives. She is more left-leaning, I'm more right-leaning. When we started, we were pretty clearly like a Republican and a Democrat, but then Donald Trump came along and changed the whole political landscape. So I'm the more right-leaning person, but now I feel like I have to put all these footnotes on what that means, because for me, it's really more, I believe in limiting the power of the federal government. Okay. And so that's kind of the contrast that always breaks down for us. So what, um, tell me like your parents or your family, did they, Did they grow up more right-leaning, left-leaning? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I grew up on a dairy farm in western Kentucky. Really? And western Kentucky is heavily Democratic. Okay. But it's kind of Democratic in name only. Everyone's a registered Democrat. If you want to vote in primaries, you've got to be a Democrat. But they always, in national elections, vote Republican. So it's a weird area. I think it like traces back to Civil War stuff. I mean, it's just kind of the history of that area and it hasn't really evolved. I don't know if more younger people are registering Republican in that area now, but it definitely is a right-leaning area where everyone is a Democrat. It's weird. (laughs) Wouldn't that be left-leaning then? Yeah, but it's not. I mean, what they believe in substance is much more aligned with the Republican Party than the Democratic Party, okay. but they're all registered Democrats. But they're all registered Democrats. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my parents are both registered Democrats. My dad is actually an elected official as a Democrat. Um, How does he feel about you, your beliefs? And I mean, you've got a really big platform. Yeah, it's been funny. Um, we don't argue about politics in my family. We're not arguers in yeah. my family in general. Um, and my parents, I think, don't totally get 
where all my views come from, but they're very supportive. And we agree on more than we disagree on. And do you talk about it? Yeah, we do. So you definitely grew up in a family that knew how to have a healthy debate and a healthy conflict. Yes. Which I think right now is super unique. Yes. (laughs) And that's why I love your podcast, because you and Sarah aren't fighting you're discussing and you're list- You're actually listening probably more than you're speaking, I'm guessing. Absolutely. We tell people all the time, we did not set out to do Crossfire. Like right. this is not a show that is about Who debate or conflict. Who wants Crossfire anymore? Aren't you exhausted with it? I am. I, I feel like shit every time I watch it. Yes. And it's not just Crossfire. It's well, like anything. It's, it's meet the it. press. It's whatever. Yes, it's all conflict driven. We actually talked with someone who said like in cable news, when there is agreement, that is a bug to be fixed. Like they don't want that. They're looking for conflict. That's what keeps viewers interested in. And we're trying to challenge that because we think it's I mean, not to be melodramatic, but we think it's hurting America. Yeah, well, that's and that's probably why you have such high listenership because people want something different. Yeah, I mean, what we've heard from people is just that it's refreshing and that it's healthier for them because I don't think people want to turn off the news. I mean, you get a lot of like self-care advice that's just just put it away. Don't engage in it. Well, that's also hurting America because now sane people are tuning out. Yes. To preserve their sanity. That's not the right answer. We just need to engage in a sane way. Okay, so how do you engage in a sane way? Okay, so we practice. I mean, that's the big thing. So our concept when we did this was nuance. Like, let's look for the gray. Let's look for the spectrum of intensity that we can have in our beliefs. Everything doesn't have to be your talking points, my talking points. Then the universe gave us Donald Trump, which helped us, I think, individually clarify why do I believe what I believe? <laughs> I don't. I I'm just giggling. Like, and then the universe gave us Donald Trump. Yes, <laughs> we right, we reflect point. on that pretty often. You yes. know, yes. Uh, it was a challenge. The universe says, "I'm going to test you mm-hmm. often." Um, and so, what we have learned though is nuance is less of a noun than a verb for us. It is about practicing. Okay, and it's about just coming back every time. I never set out to convince Sarah or our listeners to agree with me. That is not my goal. Okay, what's your goal? What's your intention? My intention is to leave the conversation having been enriched by it in some way, which maybe means that I understand my position better. Maybe it means that I understand Sarah's position better. Uh, Maybe I've just found a better way to articulate something for myself. And sometimes we're able to find something that looks like common ground. You know, here's how we could move forward. A question we ask ourselves a lot is, if we were in the United States Senate side by side, what could we support together? Oh. Okay. And when you started the podcast out, did you know that? I think we knew a lot of it. And I think we have learned that we've learned to lean into our agreement even more. You know, because when we started, it was very much like Sarah from the left, Beth from the right. What could common ground look like? What could civil debate look like? We have had so many instances over the past 18 months where it's not even we look at an issue and we say, like, this isn't even like reasonable minds can differ. There's just a principled stand that we want to take. I think what we've had to really evolve in is how do we want to use our platform? So I'll give you an example. Um, The conversation about Charlottesville and Confederate monuments. Yeah, I listened to that one. So for me... I have no interest in articulating the the First Amendment defense of swastikas 
in our public spaces. I just, I'm not interested in doing that. And I had a lot of listeners write to me and say like, gosh, you've just abandoned the right altogether. And I've come back to say, no, I've just made a decision about how I want to use my voice and my platform at this time. And there are plenty of voices out there defending the First Amendment. I'm going to speak on behalf of respecting our neighbors. And so I think that's kind of the evolution. Like now that we have this platform, what do we want to do with it? Yeah. What has been um, like the biggest surprise with the podcast and maybe the biggest struggle? Yeah. They're probably one and the same. I mean, the biggest surprise for me is is how many people listen and that it's, How many listeners do you have? So we are downloaded about 150,000 times a month. It's unbelievable. Um, we've been downloaded a million and a half times overall so far. And it's such a diverse audience. And that always interests me. Um, we thought that mostly women would listen to us. Our most engaged listeners tend to be men, the people who write in after every show. Um, and that's been kind of fascinating. But we have wonderful women listeners, too. When we hear from them, it's always sure. meaningful and awesome. So uh, the diversity of listenership has surprised me and the engagement. And that's been a big challenge for me, too. How do I, one, just how do I manage my time so that I do respond thoughtfully to people? And then, two, what do I do when someone, you know, we get our fair share of trolling. I what do I do with that? Like, are people mean? Most people are not mean. Okay. There is a very particular subset of people who who are mean intentionally like do, that's how their do you intention. how do you deal with that do you respond do you not respond what's the best way i at first so the alt-right found us early this year that's the group of people that's that they're just mean on purpose that's their whole reason for being so i started really trying to engage those people i would ask a question help me understand why you feel this way or you know tell me Tell me why you listen to every episode if you don't like anything that we have to say. Like, you you don't have to spend your time this way. Why are you choosing to do that? And I just found it to be really unproductive, to be honest with you. When I find someone who does write back somewhat thoughtfully, I'll hang in there. Because yeah. I really do believe that we have to live together in this big country of ours and we need to find a way forward. But when it becomes crystal clear to me that a person is just trying to harass me, I just tune out and I mute people on Twitter You do. Uh, because I don't want to give them the satisfaction of being blocked. And I sort of like them just shouting into the void like I don't have to hear it, but they can keep saying what they want to say. Yeah. One rule that we have that is, I think, very a very different approach to trolling than a lot of people take. We do not ever... Um, invite our listeners to like pile onto a troll. Like we don't retweet trolls. We don't try to shame people on Twitter for the things they say to us. We don't mock people's grammar. I mean, we try to live our principles all the time. And okay. so even when we're dealing with trolls, we try to live those principles out, sure. which sometimes means the best I can do is ignore someone. So whether it's trolls or whether it's <laughs> talking politics, which to me would be a challenge because there's a lot of negativity with it. How do you stay hopeful and open? It's really easy because of our listeners. I mean, honestly, I get so many messages. Well, one of my favorite reviews of our podcast ever came from another podcaster who was telling her audience about us and she was like, so it's a liberal and a conservative, but like not an asshole conservative, like a good person. <laughs> you know? and, and I get that feedback all the time where people will say to me, like, I am a dyed in the wool liberal, 
but I can listen to you and sometimes I can agree with you and I can understand where you're coming from and it doesn't feel like this moral contest to me anymore. Because I think that's the thing. We assign good and evil to like tax reform. Every single issue we make about these giant moral principles. Yes. And what we try good to do on our bad. show. Yeah. And it's mostly not like that. And I think it dilutes what truly is good and bad when we when we carry that to every single thing. Mm-hmm. So we try to dive into the weeds enough on our show that people can see, hey, reasonable people can disagree about this. Like if you don't think we should have a single payer healthcare system, that doesn't necessarily mean that you want people to die, right? right and being right. able to engage with folks who can hear that and have their minds opened, not changed, but opened. Like you can listen to me and still think, no, I absolutely agree with the liberal position on this, but I don't hate the conservative position. That feels like huge progress to me. Do you think that there is a shift? In this, because obviously everybody's gotten so jaded and tainted, and people don't. I mean, there we don't talk politics at dinner parties anymore. Mm-hmm. My parents did, right? Even when it was the differing view. Absolutely. Where do you think it's going? How is the pendulum swinging now? I don't think that it is an option any longer to disengage, because the Trump administration is seemingly intent on infusing politics into every aspect of our lives. I mean, whether it is what the administrative agencies are doing that doesn't get enough press, but that really seriously affects people, or the the hot topics, or even just the president's approach to politics as sort of entertainment, like you cannot get away from it now. So what do we choose to do with that? And my perspective is always, like I can look at President Trump and take his presidency as something that makes me a better person or a worse person. You know, I'm always growing or shrinking. So what am I going to choose? That's my choice, not his. And I want it to make me grow. And so for me, that means I'm going to educate myself and our audience much more about issues. We just did a show about how schools are funded. So that does not have to be rife with negativity, right? That is a that is an issue where you in your community can make an enormous difference in what happens. So let's put that out there. Let's use our platform for those things. Um, Let's all get better at civic engagement. Let's practice this. And then hopefully let's get some people to run for office who are there for the right reasons and are really trying to serve their country and have people to work with to do the same thing. I love um, that you just took his presidency as an opportunity for growth. Yes. And to me, that's really failing forward, right? Yes. Curiosity well, in all things. Yes. And and it's, indivi- it's our individual responsibility, right? Instead of pointing the finger, whatever side you're on, it doesn't matter because all sides are pointing the finger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what can I do to grow versus shrink? Yes. I don't I think that when we grow individually, we grow collectively. I think that's the only way. And I think that you do need to find a community of people to do that with you. And that's been the most exciting thing about our podcast, to watch that kind of spring forth. But I have to personally take responsibility for how I react to everything. And until I find the capacity for that within me, I can't ask that of anyone else. So what are one or two things that we can individually do around politics to grow? I think the first thing is to really sit with your own beliefs and test them. How important is it to my identity 
to to be called a Republican. Right. What I have learned over the past two years is it's not. Like, I, for the first time, did not vote for the Republican candidate for president. Me too. It didn't hurt me. Like, I didn't die. Right. And I was, and I, although, although what's interesting though is that every person that I told that I didn't vote for Trump, I justified it with because it was part of my identity. I justified it with this is the first election that I did not vote Republican. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. And, and I'm not the only one. Like, I know a lot of people said that too. I mean, I, I, it's funny how people had to do like gymnastics to get themselves either to vote for him or to vote against him. But it was this real test of like, because we wear we wear our political identity like jerseys now. Like this is my team, right? And it's been really helpful for me to test that. And I'll tell you that the next person who failed that test for me was the representative in my district. I didn't vote for Thomas Massey because I just don't agree with him on too many topics. So I and I didn't agree with the Democratic candidate. I wrote someone in. But I think going through that process of like testing your beliefs, test your beliefs and 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 not just your beliefs, but like, is this as fundamental to me as being a Kentuckian or being a mother or whatever other labels you give yourself? If you can do the work of saying, oh, you know, party affiliation probably shouldn't make this list. I think that's helpful. Okay, good. I love that. All right, what else? And then I think from there, the next place to go is to seek out new sources that aren't your thing and know that you haven't lost anything when you do that. Like you can watch Fox News or MSNBC, depending on your persuasion, and not have lost something for that time, you know, And, and just be curious. And then I think start talking about it again. You know, we have to have these conversations around our dinner tables at parties with our family members i think we all decided to stop talking about it because we wanted to avoid conflict but i read this today and i think it's so true when you avoid conflict you substitute short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction and that's what we've done say it again you substitute short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction and isn't that our political system? Like, yeah. that's the bed that we've made Gosh. by avoiding all those discussions. Oh so we God. have to do it again. Yeah. And it's a practice. And you have to kind of go in knowing, like, gosh, we might not get this right. I might say something um, uninformed. I think people are scared of being uninformed sometimes. But, like, that's approaching the conversation. When you have that fear, that means that you're going in in debate mode. Like, I have to win this discussion. You don't. Versus like, curiosity. Just go in to learn. Absolutely. Right. So, Beth, in this last election, there were so many people who were devastated by this outcome and really were struggling with resiliency and rebounding from it. And it doesn't matter whether you voted for Trump or not. But do you agree that this election was different than any other elections in our lifetime? It's certainly different than any election that I've experienced. And sometimes I ask myself whether that's true or not, you know, historically, did we put as much emotional energy into these elections as we did this one? And and I'm not sure what the answer to that is. The scale of emotional attachment in our media environment, I think, is brand new. Yes. And I see, I think you're right. I think people on all sides cannot let this election go. And they have a sense of attachment and uh, either grief or anger or something, no matter what where they are because the media coverage isn't good enough or 
the Democratic Party keeps sort of fighting about why did this happen? And on the Republican side, there's a sense of like, what do we do now that this has happened? And, uh, and like, who are we now that this happened? Absolutely. And can we be a collective body anymore going forward. So I think that there's a ton of emotional attachment. But why did why this election did people have a hard time rebounding? Like what was different about this? Was it that it was unexpected and because nobody thought he was going to win? Is it his behavior since he won? I mean, like people haven't gotten over it yet. I think it's all the things. I think part of it is the popular vote count being in disagreement with the Electoral College result. So I think that if you are a person who did not support President Trump, you have a sense that the system failed, not just that your candidate failed. And a lot of people don't have the sense that the candidate failed because she won the popular vote, right? Right, So there's a sense that the system failed. The system is broken. On the other side of the aisle, I mean, I look at this as a systemic failure as a Republican. We had 16 candidates. The person that everybody thought wasn't serious would not run and then wouldn't win and then wouldn't become the nominee and then certainly wouldn't win the actual election did. Right. And there were all these places along the way where you could see how someone could have intervened and changed this outcome. And no one chose to do that. That feels like failure to me, too. Yeah. And as you were talking about that system failure, um, the first word that came to my brain was control. That, you know, as human beings, if we fail and we know how to control the outcome next time, we know how to fix it, I think you can move through that process of rebounding and resiliency. I don't think that anybody knows how to control, like what to do differently next time. Well, I think that's right. I think we won't let it go because we're searching for that answer, but we're paralyzed by this massive sense of hopelessness because I think so many people feel their votes don't matter for whatever reason or that they could never run for office because the money in politics is so overwhelming. And so you have this sense of like, well, what can I do? And I think when you marry a sense of failure with a sense of hopelessness, you just get paralysis. And right. that seems to be where we are. Yeah. Um, disengagement, um, numbness. Uh, or worse, kind of sitting back and watching the show, which right. is where a lot of people are, too. Right. And we don't talk enough about that. I think that our media has profited enormously off of this debacle. And there is a whole industry now that exists to make fun of our politics. Mm -hmm. And it's not funny, really. I mean, I indulge in some of that because you need a little bit of lightness. Sometimes you got to giggle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got to have some levity. But like just recognizing what's happening, like politics being a mess is a buffet that feeds a lot of people. Yes. And so... Maybe that's another individual action step. Like, what is my stake in this? And what am I comfortable with other people's stake in this being? Um, and when you talked about, you know, it feeding multiple people now, when we look back in politics like, you know, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, they weren't making a whole lot of money. It was really, wasn't it more purpose-driven or mission-driven? Or am I living a Pollyanna kind of it just seems politics to me it equates to power but not in a positive way yeah and i don't know the answer to that i mean you can certainly read about um conflict in politics that's centuries old that's very ugly 
And so I do think power always has that dark side to it, and that's always existed. I think that money has has really changed. Um, the fact that you can reach so many people with a tweet is going to change that game too and is changing it. I think it'll be interesting like 10 years from now to have a sense of perspective on like, what did that really change? Like, did social media actually make this more or less expensive? Because you have candidates getting in now who probably couldn't have broken through because Mm -hmm. they have like one great viral campaign ad. But those are very few and far between and everybody else has to spend an awful lot of money to be heard at all in that ocean of content. So I think the jury's still out on whether our technology is going to help us be better or worse at this. I I do agree that I liked that you added that last action step because um, we shouldn't be complacent around it. We need to be doing something around it. And I love that that's what you and Sarah are doing with that podcast. So what can we look next from you guys? What's up next? Uh, So many things. So uh, we're in the process of writing a book about what we've learned. Yes. Awesome. uh, What we've learned through our discussions. How can you have these conversations? So uh, we're working on that. We are doing some live events, which is a lot of fun. It's been really awesome to like put faces and people behind the Facebook handles or Twitter handles of folks who engage with the show. Uh, We're doing some speaking events. We're getting ready to go talk with the YWCA in Tennessee uh, next week. So that'll be fun. So just lots more from Pansy Politics. It's been a real journey. And I think it is a real mission for us at this point. We really do want to bring the time has come for us to all take a different approach to this. I love that. So last minute advice for people. One or two things that you've learned that you would share with them, whether it's around politics, whether it's around podcasts, but that you think would be helpful to share? I think that the more we release that sense of control, the happier we'll become. You know, I never in my life would have imagined that this is something I'd be doing with my time. And if I had planned my life and executed that plan, it would be um, a very unhappy state of affairs now. And so I think just letting go and kind of going with things is really important. And the other thing is, we talk about this sometimes on the podcast, you know, nuance doesn't mean equivocation. So what I am learning more and more, and this is kind of unwinding some of my lawyer training, Mm -hmm. is that not every position is equal and not every position deserves equal time. And it is wonderful to be open to new ideas and we we need that. We need to engage with each other. But we also need to be really clear about what are the non-negotiable things for ourselves and for our families and then for our communities, too. I just I wonder about this when we think about the concept of failing forward, which is really vulnerabilities. Absolutely. Right. Um, I would love to, to be able to endorse a politician who was comfortable and confident in sharing. You know what? I super failed on this. Yeah. But here's what I learned. That's what I want in a politician. I want the humility. Yeah. But it, but is the system such that it's hard for people to be successful and still have that humility? I think it just requires a person who is also confident that if they lose their next election, they'll be okay. Because that's what it's all about, right? You have people who want to say and do the right thing, but either they know or someone they pay a lot to help them know this will say, that's going to kill you next time. 
And that goes back to your comment around that release, you know, your sense of control and let go. And I'll tell you, I mean, I I should have said this. Um, Another thing we can all do is stop asking our politicians to check every box for us. Like, I have to be able to vote for someone who I have some disagreements with because we're all human beings. We should have a complexity of views. Like, they shouldn't just meet this checklist of talking points. When someone does something courageous, we need to show up for those people and support them, even if we don't like what they do on something else. I love that. By the way, we will probably use some of this, so that's it's fine. fine. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I I really, I think that's interesting. And I have found that to be true with a church that I attend. No church today is going to be exactly the way I want right. it. No politician is going to be the exact way I want it. And look, if we could embrace that, we would be better parents. We would be better managers of the people, you know, in We'd our businesses. We'd be more tolerant. Yeah. And, and, and past tolerance, right? Like even something greater than tolerance, what is I that? think. Well, when I think about tolerance, I think of it as just sort of the bare minimum we will allow one another to coexist. And this is something that Krista Tippett writes about in her book, Becoming Wise, which is amazing and everyone needs to read. We would all be better humans if we did that. But I think she talks about how tolerance is like layer one, but past that is something more like acceptance and more like kind of this unconditional love and respect for each other. And I have to have that with my politicians. A big example in my life of that is Rand Paul. There are things where I just think, what are you thinking? But I really respect his principled stance on a number of issues. Like, I love the work he's doing on Yemen. He's like the only person out there saying, hello, everyone, we are at war in Yemen. And our Congress hasn't authorized that. And lots of people are dying. And you people in America don't know why you're sending your loved ones over there to fight this war. And that's wrong. We shouldn't be doing that. So I got to give Rand Paul some grace on the health care vote because I think he's doing a good job being my representative on this other topic. That is like an unheard of way to look at our politicians that's really what it is having some grace for them and for Mm -hmm. each other and first for ourselves i think a lot of the way we talk about politicians and people with whom we disagree is a reflection of personal insecurity you know and if you can develop that graciousness for yourself and then extend it to other people then we start to make some progress amen i love that well thank you so much for being here today it was so fun and so interesting And I can't wait to um, hear your next episode. Thank you so much. Thanks, Beth. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bolke, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. Please join me next time where I interview Chris Ciccinelli. He's the president of Pure Romance, and he speaks candidly about living a life by design and not default.